Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this week's episode, we talked to Julius Solaris, who founded Event Manager's blog and sold to Skift fairly recently, and now is head of engagement at Swapcard. What a journey. We'd love to find out more. Okay, let's get started. Um, welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining Chetan here from MySpot. Um, and we've got talks today, as usual, on a Wednesday. Um, before we go on, if you can mute your microphones, unless you're Julius, that would be helpful. We are recording the session so we can put it onto our forum and turn it into a podcast later on. Objective of these talks always is to share best practice so we can recover faster and stronger. That, that phrase actually feels a little bit outdated because people are recovering faster and stronger and have been since last summer uh, in, in if, they've, if they've done a good job. Um, but always open and honest and Julius, we appreciate your honesty. On your on the session today, so thanks for joining us. A um, couple of quick MySpot messages. V Awards, um, the early bird entry deadline is thirty first of March, so next Wednesday. So if you want to get a discount on your entry, please do submit it before then. And also the Voice Forum. If you're part of the Voice Forum, please ensure you've got your image up there as well as your. If you can go into settings on the right hand side of the Voice Forum and put your company is there because that's obviously going to be very helpful just for other people to find you. Um, that's it uh, in terms of MySpot messages. Um, so welcome, delighted to welcome Julius. Tell us, just say hello and where you're from. Thanks for having me too, Dan. I'm, uh, I'm uh, from Vegas, um, <laughs> as you can tell by my accent. Um, beautiful, amazing Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, obviously, originally Italian through London for a few years where we got to meet each other. And um, yeah, now uh, previously editor of Event MB for founder and editor for 14 years now at Wapcard since a month now. So yeah, uh, living the life. <laughs> Fantastic. So we're going to get into a little bit about your past, present and future. That's how I've kind of structured the session. Anybody else wants to know anything else, Julius has promised me he will answer any question. Uh, so pop him into chat and let's see if he does. Um, let's, I mean, I've got to say that you, you're kind of like our, one of our famous people in this industry and, uh, and it must be such an incredible journey. And I remember briefly talking to you. So let's start way back. Where did you where did you study? Like uh, which part of the world, and what did you study up to what level? And by the way, I hope this is uh, interesting enough for the people connected here. But if at any time you have a question, like yeah, but I have an event coming up and I want to do this, feel free to interrupt me with the story of my life. You know that's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, you know I, I I I see for some people maybe relevant from some, some others not. So feel free to hijack me at all times. Um, you know, I'll try to keep it as useful as possible for you too. Um, you know, I've been, I'm Italian. So, um, you know, I was born, born and raised in Italy until um, I was um, 19 or so. So I've been traveling after that to a lot of places, to Australia. I spent a couple of years there and then to London for eight years back and forth uh, from Italy and then um, the US for the past five years. So I've been traveling quite a lot and moving my business with me. So um, yeah, I've been working from, from home for the past 10 years or so. So when the pandemic hit, that was like no big deal in terms of change for me um, here at least. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's um, yeah, I've been Studying uh, university, I did my MBA in Australia. So uh, that's, I guess, when I got um, 
the idea of starting a blog. I was starting online marketing. So which makes me feel super old. It was 2004, 2005. And, you know, blogs were the hot thing, kind of a uh, TikTok today. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was obsessed by this, this idea that to build a business out of a blog. I mean, it took probably four years to do that. Um, but, you know, eventually we, I made it. So, yeah, that, that, that's kind of a short story of that. So the so you you purposely wanted to have a blog business, and at that point was was it was events just the topic you chose, or what was the cat why events then? What could have been anything, right? Totally, yeah. You know when people say that you can start a blog uh, about something when you can write like fifty articles about a specific topic, and really, my experience was by that time it was really um events i had a passion for events and i had my first experience working with pharma congresses and stuff like that in the my little region of, of italy you know with very limited type of exposure but still kind of relevant enough so and i, I was very fascinated about the intersection of technology and events i was fascinated by social media coming to events I was starting to have my first online fights about the use of hashtags and stuff like that in 2009, 2008. Um, you know, saying, you know, hashtags are, are actually going to be used at events. And people were like, this is never going to happen. Keep on dreaming. So, you know, so that, that type of um, new um, injection of innovation. I was very upset about the way events were run as well. I thought it were extremely boring, <clears throat> uh, very bottom up. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, way of doing the same things all over again. So I was fascinated also by, you know, at the time there was kind of the rise of bar camps and on conferences for those that will remember was pretty big. I moved to London in 2008 and it was, it was the thing, right? There was, those were the coolest events you could attend in London. Uh, on a content level. So I was busy talking about those. So it was very her heretical at the beginning. If you go back and read my first post, I was just crazy, um, writing crazy stuff. But uh, then I mellowed down with the years once my beard started to get gray. <laughs> so, so you started a blog in this sector, you were interested in it. What was always the vision to monetize through the normal media means or did you have an outlook of how like you start a blog but did you start a business or did you start a, you know a blog what was your did you have a vision you just started do you see what i mean totally. yeah I, I started 2007 um you know um and yeah i thought you know i'm gonna be rich with google ads and okay. um you know i did that and i was making like 20 dollars a month so i thought <laughs> yeah this, this could be a thing right um, so yeah, I quickly kind of um, hit the reality that um, you know it's, it's probably going to be more difficult than one I thought. Um, so for for some time, like I tried that, and then I said, you know what, I'm just going to keep on doing it as a as a hobby. I'm just going to write whatever I want. I'm just not going to be driven by advertising or whatever. I'm just going to be focused on the content and whatever I like to write about. I've always, you know, at the time, blogs were like really your space, right? It's not what content websites are today, which I keep on calling blogs to a certain extent, but they've evolved into almost like magazine. Like at the time, people were writing to me, like, why are you writing about this? Why are you saying this? And I was like, because this is my blog, I write what I wanna write about, you know? That's, that's what it is. So. 
um, yeah, I started focusing on that until probably 2009 when I kind of was living in London. Uh, I moved to London when Lehman Brothers collapsed like the same summer. So it was like the worst summer. And then I moved to the US when Trump got elected. So I thought this is probably me um, bringing something here to countries. Uh, but, you know, it was, um, it was interesting that, that uh, I was looking for a job. So I kind of had to make a decision there. Like, you know, this is not paying the bills. I need to find a regular job. And I did find a regular job as social media manager for this large, large B2B company in, in the Oxfordshire. Um, and I, I, I worked for them for a year and the blog, I was kind of letting it go. To be honest, there was a, a time where I was like, okay, I'm doing well. Um, you know, probably don't need to do this. And I remember having a message from someone within the, the industry, Jeff Hurt, who said, you know, don't stop doing this. Like, you know, we, we need to hear your voice. And I said, okay, well, I'll try it, give it another go. So I, I kept on writing. And then 2011, Cvent contacted me and said, like, what do you think about running an ad on the blog? And I was like, all right, let's try it, see what happens. And then the rest is history, I guess. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be my one question. One another question was who was your kind of key client or turning point? It was that it. Yeah, it was that. It was that. Um, you know, I had worked with. Um, I mean, I think at the same time we started working with Eventbrite, with Cvent. Like really, I mean, I had been in touch with Eventbrite since like they reached out to me in two thousand and seven. Like it was like literally Julia, Kevin, and some others. Um, you know, the founding team and, uh, and three, four other people at the time. Um, so they reached out to me very early days. And, and then we had Cvent on um, with the first ad, like the first banner ad we had on the blog. Like it was like the whole page it was just crazy positioning. I, I remember I asked for the most absurd amount of money <laughs> I could think of for that, which was probably $2,000 or something like that. So yeah, I guess it was the first experiment to see is there value in that. And then um, that was 2011 when I actually incorporated the British Limited in uh, where I was working, where I was living in the Oxfordshire. And uh, yeah, you know, baby steps. Um, I kind of quit my job. I moved back to Italy to save money and reinvest everything in the business. Amazing. So then, um... If you were to look back, uh, if you were to look back over the last, was it 2007, 2009, so let's say 10 years, 10-ish years, what other key milestone kind of changed the direction of Event Manager's blog? So you got going, started getting some clients who were paying, you quit your job, then there would have been a, was there anything else that was a major milestone that kind of took it off in a new direction? Totally. Um, I think the first major uh, thing that we launched that was kind of a turning point was the Event Hub Bible, uh, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, our sort of uh, go-to report that we've been doing for 10 years now. I think it was 2012, the first time we released it. And literally what I did for that, you know, event apps were the new thing. It's kind of like similar to what we're living right now with virtual event platforms, right? So a million of virtual event platforms. How do you choose the best one? Um, and the, the same level of confusion in terms of event apps back then, like mm -hmm. what are these things? You know, apps were the cool thing, right? iPhone was was around since like a couple of uh, a couple of years, not even, right? So apps were the cool thing. So what I did was, what if someone could um, 
really review all the features of these event apps and someone could compare them easily. So I literally went and check probably in excess of like 50 websites and make a list of all the features by myself, like, you know, totally like looking at what they were saying on the website mm. with no contact whatsoever with the companies because they, they didn't even to me back in the days. So yeah, and then <clears throat> I created these comparison charts um, and then we published it and it was, you know, crazy numbers at the time. Like you launch something like that, it goes, oh, we have 15,000 downloads, like crazy uh, numbers uh, in terms of what you compare it with today. Uh, but, you know, it was a lot of interest and that started to project more the event technology uh, part of the business, which has obviously been the part core of the advertisers. Did, did you get any upset people that said you haven't done the grid properly? Totally, yeah. yeah. Very aggressive emails <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Reach out. Why did you do that? Yeah. And I said, you know, guys, I reached out to you. What do you want? You didn't respond to my email. Then that's yeah. what it is. Now you, you want me to change it? I'll change it next year when you answer to my email. Yeah. That, that was the level of conversation, you know. And uh, we immediately set up the new relationship that we had. I've been. I, I think I've become famous for not, not being one easy to manage on the editorial side for a lot of technology companies. I think my, my team as Wapcard today still hates me from <laughs> stuff I pushed back back in the days when I was at EventMB. Yeah, I think my motto since is there's always been asked for forgiveness, not permission. Um, and I got asked that the other day. Um, it works well for me uh, to a certain extent. Um, okay, so that's it. that was an interesting. So that, that kind of, let's call it a product, was, was a kind of a catalyst of really good Kind of a, a really good product you were selling and it was it was working well it was delivering value um and if you were to look back so i'm going to kind of finish up in the past in a minute but if you were to look back what's your proudest moment of event mb huh interesting probably um yeah i recently tweeted that a picture of i think it was imax 2018 so one year before we sold to skift and um, I was the opening keynote for IMAX America. Um, you know, I really, I could literally see sort of the culmination of 10 years of work coming together and, you know, friends um, and a lot of uh, people that I got to know for the years in the audience, um, you know, everybody excited, a lot of them crying for some of the content in the presentation. It was a really emotional moment. So we, we had a lot of, uh, yeah, it was a special moment back then, I believe, you know, it was, a lot of people, you know, came after that and were really excited about that and be part of the story of Event and B because I've worked with everybody for the years. That's important to say, like everybody that has had some, you know, something to say about the event industry, we've worked with them in the past 10 years by interviewing them, having them writing reports um, or blog posts or whatever. Yeah, nice, nice. Um... Okay, and you know, I'm going to come to your question when we get to the future part of this section, but thank you. Do keep the questions coming. Um, that, that makes this richer and relevant for you, I'm sure. Right, let's, um, so it's still, I guess, the past. Um, you sold to Skift. How much for? <laughs> <laughs> joke, joke, jokes. I, I, I can tell all want. of you that, but then obviously I'll need to send some killers to then take your lives. No, um, uh, all right, so just tell us Obviously, about... Obviously, you know, I have uh, um, six mansions in Las Vegas, so you can tell <laughs> it was a multi-billion deal. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, 
So just where did, when did that come about? Uh, how did it come about? What was the catalyst? What, what was the time period? What, what can you tell us about that kind of interaction and, and conversation all the way through to actually signing? Just give us a kind of brief history and of it. Totally. Um, it's funny enough. It's an interesting story. I was at IMAX um, in 2016, maybe in Vegas here. It was my first IMAX. I actually came to America the first for the first time. Um, and I was sitting at fresh dinner at a fresh dinner. I don't know if any of you kind of remember those or have attended one of those. You know, it's like uh, dinners um, done by the Meeting Design Institute. They do it with Confex as well now, and um, other events. So we were there, like it was the the where the cool kids would hang out at the time. So we were sitting at a table and I had Miguel Nevis next to me, obviously, which who was working for IMAX at the time, hmm. who introduced me to Greg Oates, who was the meetings uh, editor for Skift at the time. He was like, oh, you should meet Greg Oates. Uh, Skift is so cool. You, you got to get to know about them. So I started to, I met Greg, got along, kept in touch. Uh, we competed for a while. He, then introduced me to Rafa uh, when, you know, uh, was the CEO and founder of Skift. Um, and uh, yeah, we started that conversation. That conversation ended up in Skift buying an B. But the funny thing is that then Miguel ended up now being the editor of B. So you see kind of the full circle of yeah. that dinner uh, coming together. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, we, we were actively um, trying to sell the business for two, three years back then, because honestly, we reached a point where, you know, there, there's only so much you can do and you grew, you grow a business to a certain stage, then either you've raised funding, which is incredibly difficult in media, or, you know, you sell and become part of a bigger organization, you grow that way. So that's, that's what um, we had in mind. And we were very close to that twice with different organization organizations and uh, we were about to sign and then the deal fell off twice, which has been probably some of the most difficult stuff I had to deal with on a professional level. Because, you know, once you're like so excited and pumped that you're going to sign the next day and then they're like, oh no, we're going to pass. Um, you know, that's that's really, really tough for a small business, family business. I run the business with my wife. So, you know, okay. that was that was that. We had all the eggs in one basket. So. We, then we started having a conversation with Rafat and it's very obvious how event and being skiffed brands aligned in both in terms of operation and vision for the industry travel and the meetings and event industry. We were disruptors in the same way. Um, so there was a lot of alignment and uh, it was uh, made sense, made a lot of sense. And I think it was a great investment to skift looking uh, backwards at what happened and during the pandemic and the performance of event and um, for the past year and now, I think it's a great investment that they did. Yeah, I'm sure it will is and will be. Um, but it, just touching on the two deals that kind of didn't happen, um, what what would you can you share? I'm why you, think, okay. <laughs> you can you you Bring can see pretty now. You're sold. Um, but if if you were to kind of look back, would you would you can you see why it didn't happen, or do you think it's the best? Actually, in hindsight, now actually you're glad it didn't because you know. Now with Skift, um, both. No, I'm totally Skift. glad it didn't. Uh, looking backwards, uh, because yeah, both companies that were about to sign with us probably we didn't 
we wouldn't have had the same path that we had this gift 100% with some of them. Uh, with one of them, uh, I think I, we made a mistake, um, you know, uh, with them managing, you know, without going into details there. But, you know, um, it's something that you learn. Um, and then with the process, you got to be extremely careful about things that you do and some stuff that you say and all that. With the other one, it was just, uh, you know, it just happened because of uh, external factors. So nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They did another mega acquisition at the time. So it just, um, you know, they weren't too caught up with that. And it didn't happen for us, which we were very tiny, smaller compared to what was happening there. So, you know, in both cases, you take, you, you learn from those. It's not, it's easy to say it now, you learn from those really. Um, you don't learn from those for the past, for the first five months because what you get from that is just a lot of pain. Let me tell you that the learning part starts like once you kind of overcome that. Okay, and uh, an interesting and again you don't need to answer this. When you work through valuations of trying to sell your business, was it the the typical you know X of revenue type models? Did you fall into a technology? kind of X times revenue model, or what could you say about that? You know, how do you come to evaluation? Yeah, it's tough. We work with people um, that, you know, have done these type of deals um, in the industry for a while that helped us sort of shaping these deals. It's, it was tough, right? Because we're media and you have to find kind of media valuation to a certain extent. You gotta follow that. Cannot be in tech. Even if you're in tech, you're not really in tech. You don't have a recurring revenue or anything like that. You know, you cannot, Based, uh, based those evaluation on that. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a value interpretation of, you know, top line, bottom line and all of that. Um, and whatever goes into that, I can tell you that whatever you have in mind, uh, when you start, probably you have to divide by five. <laughs> oh, I thought it was gonna be times. Um, okay, I've got Ian. Um, Ian, do you wanna come off mute? He's, he's got a couple of, he's got a question for you. Yeah, hi, uh, Julius. Nice hi, to uh, virtually meet you. I was hoping it was going to be face-to-face -face one day, but we haven't managed that yet. It's been uh, COVID times. Yeah, it was just on the Skiff thing, really. I, I was very, very excited when Skiff bought uh, Event MB. Um, the question was really, first of all, did you achieve, what percentage of what you hoped you achieved did you achieve because of the COVID situation? And, and did you get the visibility you wanted? And more on the movement forward for the future, do you think, what do you think Skift can bring to our industry in terms of visibility and highlight and, and the vision of Skift having the meeting and events sector within their portfolio? Because I find that with business travel and leisure travel, it's quite a blur with Skift and some articles are very focused on, on leisure and some are focused on business and then we have the event section. I'm really interested to know where you think they could take it. Uh, interesting question. Uh, there's two parts of this. One I'll try to answer because it's kind of like the journey for event and be the other questions I think are more for Rafa than for <laughs> myself. Uh, but, you know, I, I believe that, um, as I said, I'm gonna use what Rafa shared on social media and Twitter. I'm not gonna say anything that nobody, um, you know, it's like the secret or whatever. Uh, you know, event and be at the best year ever last year. It's it's a sad truth. Of you know, it's been probably one of the most difficult years I had to deal with on a career personal level. 
uh, because the level of pain to process that year uh, for the for a whole industry has been some of the most difficult thing I had to do to kind of process whatever was happening all around us and to kind of make sense out of it for the industry. A lot of people sent me emails, um, hundreds of emails saying, you know, we're losing business, we're losing, I have to shut down. Like we had to deal with a lot of pain and grief over the last year. It's probably been some of the most difficult stuff I had to do. Uh, said that, you know, we've been, you know, I kind of like, it took probably a week um, and, uh, you know, I was living this, this dichotomy being Italian and seeing the whole situation going south in Italy way before here in the US, right? Um, and, uh, and so I would see what was coming. So that, that week, um, I remember with Italy kind of uh, exploding, um, you know, it was pretty tough, super tough. But then at the end of that week, I was like, okay, whatever, we gotta do what we gotta do. Let's move on and let's make sense of this. So, you know, I started to be extremely active and proactive on what I should have done for the industry and like start pumping. Like, I remember the first tweet I put out saying, you know, you guys, we gotta, we've got to figure out our virtual event strategy in February, 2020, right? So that I was very proactive on that. That was the only way out. Um, so obviously that, that paid off big time. We've seen incredible growth, right? Like the events we used to do, I remember we always say this, we used to do like a webinar with Eventbrite two years before it was the most successful webinar we would have done, like shaking hands and patting ourselves on the back. We had like 1500 people attending. We had 15,000 by March. So, you know, it was just like the growth of numbers was incredible. The attention all of a sudden was incredible. And, and therefore lots of responsibility, but lots of, uh, you know, opportunity as well. So I think we played that card very well while I was there. Uh, was it what I expected? Absolutely not. Because that meant that I had to be a business owner again to a certain extent while I was, it wasn't my business, but I kind of had to think that way last year. Um, and, um, but you know, I, not, not a big deal. We did it and we had a lot of success. Then what happens to Eventim B from now onwards? I feel that uh, with Miguel on board, um, you know, the, there's a lot of continuity in terms of the value that Eventim B will provide to the, the event planning community because Miguel is someone that is deeply rooted in the event profs community. And it's someone that, you know, a, a lot of people look up to and has a lot of relationships. So I'm very happy that that happened, that Miguel is in. You know, obviously recommended Miguel, um, you know, internally and said, you got to get Miguel, this is going to work. Uh, so I've been in the uh, background of that, you know, without taking any merits, but I really wanted it, him to be there um, for the prosecution. Then what, what happens with Skift and Event MB? Yeah, I know Rafat is very committed to events. He likes meetings and events. He, he understands it. It's part of Skift business. It's a huge part of Skift business events. So there's a there's a, a sort of a pure uh, survival uh, need there for Skift to be at the top of what they're doing in events. There's not only like a topic interest, right? More clothes than travel in itself to a certain extent. Like the meetings part, it's a it's a big part of Skift's business. So. Yeah, I don't know how to, what the future will hold for that, but I'm confident that Miguel is going to do a terrific job for sure. Thanks. Thanks, Ian. Um, Richard, uh, you've got a question about valuation. Uh, do you want to come on and ask it? 
may have been um, off and on. Hi, chat. Yeah, hi, Julius. Um, hey, Richard. Congratulations, my friend. Well done. Um, no, it's just like, you know, you're kind of talking about the valuation. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you can't say, well, it's a multiple of this, a multiple of that. But at the end of the day, there are key components of your business that were of value to Skift. And that's kind of what they made the assumption of the valuation around. Now, the model was created. So what were those valuations? I'm guessing one is your database. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Well, that is like I, I thought, you know, I can tell you this. I thought that coming into this process and pitching the, the business to multiple different clients, that database was a big deal. And we had the biggest database in the industry, by all means. I built that for the year years. And I thought, you know, this is what we're going to sell. People like weren't interested in that. Uh, not as much as I was expecting them. They were more interested in getting us, myself, my wife, and the team on board. It's, it's more about the team than, than, you know, your assets. Because your assets, like, when you control them, it's one thing. Unless they're extremely tangible uh, and, you know, extremely, that's like the value we all agree on, right? So, um, I thought, like, I was like, database, right? It's got to be database. They were like, no, this is not what it's all about. So eventually you look at revenue, you look at EBITDA and all of that and all it plays out and you add a multiple, you try to agree over fights over a multiple, that's what happens. And uh, then, you know, you start looking at the deal, what it looks like, the structure of the deal, like earnouts and all of that. If there's, there are stuff like those happening or, you know, how long do you need to stick around? What is the compensation? Like all these, you know, aspects that fall in every deal. And, uh, you know, if it makes sense for both parties, you move along. Okay, but you said, so, so when you talk about database or what I would say, you know, database basically are people, you know, that's basically your, your community. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, the community and the, you know, the value you bring to that community and uh, you can draw them with you. So there's, there surely has to be a value to be able to sort of put on the brand. Uh, I totally agree, Richard. I yeah. totally agree. I was telling them the same things, but there's a value to this. Like I built this, like, you know, even in the lead up to sale, I was like, okay, what can I build that it's not depending on me being there, right? Because yeah. you, you want to sell a business, like do you have to think what, what happens if Julius goes away, right? And you have to build some assets that are going to be valuable to people, regardless of whether you're involved or not. So I really focus on building that database, saying, you know, this is what is going to be at the core of what we sell. And I was like, I did a fantastic presentation. You know, I'm a keynote. I did an amazing pitch. Nobody <laughs> bought it. But nobody <laughs> bought it. It's like they say, sorry, when monopolize it, but beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It depends on what they yeah. Probably Richard, I should have talked to you. You, you would have, you would have helped me to pitch it better. <laughs> okay, let's move on to. We're going to run out of time, otherwise. Um, let's move on to present. So now it's Swap Card. Tell us about that journey and how was was the conversations with Swap Card. How did it come about? What attracted you to go? I guess into the the do, as it were. Um, yeah, tell us. So I have, uh, you know, it's a mix of personal reasons why, uh, you know, I moved into swap cards as well, but there's also a bit, some professional, obviously, reasons in there as well. Um, I, uh, you know, I got to one of my uh, best industry friends is Matthew Donegan Ryan, who sold multiple businesses, like he's probably one of the most accomplished 
uh, entrepreneurs in the event technology sphere. He sold Crowd Compass to Cvent. He sold, you know, another company to Cvent back in the time, registration companies. Um, you know, he sold multiple businesses. Um, and he was, uh, he is the general manager of Swapcar in the US. And, you know, we're friends. And he was telling me about how great the company was doing and all of that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, you know, I guess over, you know, we started, I just said, you know, I said, whatever, we'll have a chat. I had a chat with the CEO with Baptiste Boulard, you know, French company. Um, so um, I was like, to be honest, I was like, yeah, I'll have this chat, but I don't have high expectation. I don't think this is going to happen, honestly. Um, but then I had a chat with Baptiste and was extremely impressed with his vision and, um, you know, where he's taking the company and also with the progression as Wapkar is having, like, you know, they're, they're they grow, they grew 400% in a year and they're working with South by Southwest. And, you know, we're just announcing next week a deal with Informa for all of their events for, for 2021, right? We just announced the deal with IMAX. Um, so, you know, we're working with these incredible um, clients, you know, they're really, um, there's, there's no hype in that. There's a lot of reality in a sense of how you deliver this business to people that work with business events, right? Rather than whatever is happening right now that everything is hyped about. So there's a lot of uh, continuity in that. I'm, I was really excited about that. So yeah, one thing led to another and some personal reasons sort of came in as well. And so the decision seemed right as well. I feel that we had to uh, make this move and then that's, um, that's what happened. And it was all, all almost one day after the next day so was that all kind of planned that that's the day it will be announced and then the next day you'll start is it without well, yeah, planned? It, it was important to have a transition with skift and not leave overnight so you know we've, we've been planning that it's been super tough to to plan that because obviously skift is family to me and uh, it's been incredible incredibly difficult to to plan that to communicate that to implement that uh, but at the same time, you know, we did our last event with Event MB on uh, February 12th, and then I joined Swapcar and we had Evolve, which was the biggest event of the year for Swapcar with like 10,000 people on the platform the next week. Mm. So it's been, it's been quite a lot during the, the, those February um, period, that February period, uh, but, you know, very exciting. So tell us about the IMEX uh announcement today. Give, tell us what that's going to mean for an event planner. What, what are they going to benefit from? Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is about keeping it real. You know, I feel that, you know, there's there's a lot of hype about virtual events. There's a lot of hype about, you know, whatever is next and nobody is going to go back to work and we're living a new normal and, and whatever. And then there's the business, event, business events community and we know who we are, right? We look at each other and we're like, you know, we go way back. You know, we go to 2012 having drinks at the Palazzo here in Las <laughs> Vegas, whatever. Like, whatever newcomer, you know, has to deal with 10, 15 years of relationships that have been uh, built through technology and without technology with destinations and venues. So I'm a fan of that community. So to me, uh, the first thing I did when I joined Swapcar was to talk to Karina and say, I don't care, like IMAX is going to be on Swapcar and I'll do whatever it takes to have IMAX on Swapcar because this is the community I believe in. You know, this is like the events that need to happen on Swapcar are the real business events. 
then we'll leave all the glitzy and whatever else to the others. And then we'll see once we go back to live what happens, because that's what I'm excited about, uh, especially with Swapcard, because we come from the live industry. We don't come from virtual or whatever. So I'm very excited. The first time a 100% virtual event tool has to check in 100,000 people on the show floor. I want to see that happening. Um, I, I cannot wait for that. Because you know that's that's you know I'm I'm like with Swapper I'm like bring it on you know that's that's what I'm looking for. With some others I have some doubts. So we'll see we'll see. So for me this deal means uh, bringing it back to the real community of event planners, like really going forward with the community. We all know each other and keep growing that community, which I'm interested in. The noise and whatever else is happening, you know, is gonna sort of self deflate. In a few months. And so when you say have IMAX on swap car, what does that mean? Like if, so if I'm so yeah, it means that IMAX is, um, you know, uh, they're, they're obviously canceled IMAX Frankfurt, mm -hmm. uh, which is the big show happening in May, um, uh, the in-person version of that. And they announced the five months activation on the lead up to IMAX America here in Las Vegas in November for the first time at Mandalay Bay which is going to be very, very interesting uh, to see coming together. They moved from Sands to that. Um, so yeah, those five months, all the activations, all the events that they plan to do are going to be on Swapcard. So they're going to okay. be hosted there. And, uh, you know, we're really building this concept of community. And it's amazing to see how Karina immediately kind of uh, was excited about the concept of building up a long lasting community on the platform for a few months with different activations, whether they're webinars or full fledged three, four hour events. So IMAX is gonna announce all of that. So I don't wanna spoil any of it, but there's a lot of stuff that is gonna happen on the platform and people will know that that's the go-to place where they can still hang out with their community regardless of whether an event is happening or not. Um, so yeah, that's that's the future vision of how shows are also transitioning with the digital footprint as well. Yeah, okay. Um, so just interestingly, you mentioned IMAX in America, Vegas. Well, what is, what is happening in, in Nevada and, and the state and uh, how, how is the numbers and the outlook and uh, the vaccination program, how is the states coping currently? Because clearly it wasn't that great last year. Is it getting better? Is things improving? Are you feeling confident? Uh, you know, I'm no expert. I can just give you my opinion on it, obviously, which for whatever counts. Um, it seems like the, the, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen a switch, a total switch. Even here, well, obviously there's Texas and Florida, they do whatever they want, right? You just open <laughs> and whatever, you know, you've seen the images from spring break and all of that. So you know what's happening there. But you know, here in, um, in Nevada, we've had, you know, a, a Democratic governor that it's kind of not been as strict as in California to a certain extent, but it's been pretty, you know, strict with some rules and, you know, closing down gatherings, even if, you know, they were happening in Orlando, they've been happening for the whole, through the whole time in Florida. You know, he's been battling a lot of pressure from casinos to reopen. So it's been containing that. But then again, obviously vaccination has sped up. Now um, they announced that everybody can book vaccination by the first week of April, everybody. Mm -hmm. So regardless of age, so everybody's gonna be able to book it and have it by May. 
which is quite aggressive, right? So um, with that and with the numbers, like we've been at the peak with three, 4,000 cases a day, we have 200 now, right? So just to give you the scale. So there's a sense here, you go to casinos and you see everybody's back at casinos, okay. like especially on the leisure sort of consumer um, portion of it. Everybody's back to Vegas. You know, there was an article yesterday on the Daily Mail, um, you know, amazing British publication was saying, um, you know, everybody's spending their stimulus check in Vegas, like, you know, <laughs> going up big time. And they announced 50% capacity for large gatherings, right? Which means thousands of people here in Las Vegas for some mm -hmm. shows, right? So, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's picking up, like the rhythm is like going. I wasn't expecting it to go in this fast, but it's going super fast, I can tell you that. I see an announcement of shows happening in Vegas every day now, like confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. So mm -hmm. yeah, it seems like everybody's back up, you know, but we don't know what is gonna happen, right? We don't know whether this is gonna be enough in terms of the vaccination to really contain a fourth, fifth wave, whatever we're at in the US. Okay, so let's, um, thank you for that. Let's um, talk about future. Uh, Yin, do you wanna come in and ask your question that you posted in the chat? Yeah, so basically um, it's great to have you at Sockcard, Julius, because we use Sockcard, so that's, a, that's always a good thing. Um, but I kind of want to just, you know, see your thoughts on the disruption now that we've sort of been in virtual for 12 months, like everybody who wasn't virtually sort of minded have gone, we need to do something um, to keep their audience, keep the community around. How are you seeing sort of event managers keeping that attention? Because we're finding that content is great. If you've got good content, it's, it's great having that element. How do you keep them around for everything else that you want them there for? Um, you know, the networking side of things or networking virtually, because um, obviously everything's still very different. Have you seen anything that's out there that's like, mm, want to watch guys, keep an eye on this? Um, but yeah, just wanted to know your thoughts really. Um, yeah, totally. That's a great question. And um, I feel that, that we don't need any new features. We don't need anything new. Uh, we have all the tools that we, uh, we need. We need better tools. Um, you know, uh, we, did, we, need, we need better and improved tools that do existing things that we already currently have in the portfolio. I'm even looking at a Volio, as you mentioned, our registration tool and our tool. I'm sitting in demos and I'm like, oh my God, can you really do this level of stuff? Like, you know, changing the micro thing about the registration that then will end up in the plan. Like you can be extremely specific about the user experience today. We don't need more than that. Honestly, there's way too much. I, I see that probably clients use 10, 15% of what we currently have, you know, available in terms of features, to be honest. Like, um, and uh, we, I'm working with my team to make sure that we communicate very well what you can do with a platform right now, which is a missing piece right now. A lot of people don't understand it, but let me tell you something that I'm seeing right now that I think is the next challenge, right? Everybody's been focused on content as a result of the pandemic. So the first natural pivot has been, let's focus on keynotes and translating the model of in-person events to virtual with some variation, right? So you, we've learned through the 
for the year that you know probably an hour long keynote doesn't work in a virtual environment so we probably have to shorten it you know so we started to learn all of that great but the focus on setting your speakers up and having these amazing speakers and a keynote kind of stuck to a certain extent so what's next based on that we got to think what's next why because there's a million virtual events happening the same speakers like even the event industry i see the same faces like go over from one virtual event from the other right they see it's the same trail like there's only so so much so many speakers available there's only so much you can do all of a sudden you're putting together a content show uh you know where you're showing this tv experience where you're showing people with some level of chats and polls great but you're competing with netflix really in terms of attention i'm really like why should i watch your event or should i watch netflix or youtube youtube video if you're just projecting content i can comment on youtube as well i can have fun in the comment sections like i just go for comments sometimes i don't even care about the video so what i'd say is like we got to get out of that that competition like what's the blue ocean if you pass me the uh, comparison there with the book um, you know, the blue ocean strategy, like where do you really open uh, a new market? The new market is really the live component, the co-created component of events. So if we really did, that's why everybody's so concerned with engagement. But what we really mean is like getting people to uh, involved in the event more than just watching uh, some level of content, right? So for me, like features that are becoming extremely needed in that sense, is you know i see the lights in in demos whenever i do it with my with clients when we uh, pitch for example the round table features that we have or the breakout features in any platform this is not swap specific but any platform that has group meetings of 50 100 people with some level of moderation a la clubhouse that's where the 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 you know next level is because you can have your keynote but then people automatically get split in break breakouts you have moderators moderating those and having some level of one-to-one uh, -one conversation where people start getting on stage you promote demote you can have it audio only you know that's exciting as well um so that's that's the new way to create that that engagement for me like that's the only way probably to be different from a youtube video getting people live on board and get them to create something together that's what i'm excited about and then obviously you got to use tools like artificial intelligence to make sense of the noise right especially when there's like 5000 10000 people on a platform how do you filter what's relevant to you that's where the platform has to step in so any platform not only swapcar that has artificial intelligence you should invest in that because you know really that helps the experience getting better on a platform level this is something that you cannot do as a planner so if you combine all of that and you create a year-long sort of touch point strategy with virtual in-person and hybrid then you're onto something because all of a sudden you're owning your audience right the audience is yours you're not on facebook on twitter or clubhouse you're just it's just on your platform and it's yours to have and engage with. Thank you. Um, Jens, I answer your question. Any follow up? Yeah, it does. I think it, the, the interesting thing to see is because we were actually with Swapcard since 2018. So we used them way back when event apps weren't cool and people didn't really use them because because <laughs> my my audience is not, not the type to sort of engage in gamification. So that, that's why this whole conversation about getting people involved and getting them to see the content. but be part of the content as well is quite important. And so just trying trying to match that up and marry it up is um is something, you know, 
something interesting to know and you know keep it simple but do it right and do it to a t so it's so it's there so it's easy that people don't even realize which i think yeah which makes sense but the the, the you mentioned um the round tables and the mod so sorry the moderation of 50 people that i yeah interested interested to see that coming on board because that that's something that is where we're where we're struggling i think for the 50 person i'm gonna go on mute now <laughs> A story of our life. Don't worry. I mean, we all have it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's coming together. That's the that's the next uh, big thing. You mentioned Clubhouse, and I had a question here. Well, where, where do you see? Um, I think Clubhouse as a platform has got is fantastic, and it's got um, a great way to communicate, a different way. Um, but where do you see it for our industry? How do you see it being effectively used? If at all, yeah, I'm I'm pretty uh, realistic and somewhat dry when it gets to our industry and the use of these tools. I think everybody's excited about Swapcard because for the first time they're seeing some movement on the social media activity they usually do, and there's no response to it. Let's be honest, it's just like that, right? They're seeing like some people getting in touch for the first time after sharing a million messages on Instagram with one like. And everybody's all excited about Clubhouse because it's finally they're having some results with their weak social media campaigns. I mean, that's the sad reality of it. I mean, let's not say it's something that is not in terms of the industry interest with it. So then you can build like great communication. But you know, we're in lockdown, right? Germany, very popular in Germany, very popular in the UK. Yes, we are. We're everybody's at home, like not going anywhere, right? What can you do, right? You're spending time talking to people on your phone, that's what you're doing, right? So uh, long-term potential of that, I don't know, I mean, as long as the platform will keep on giving mar organic marketing opportunity, everybody's gonna be excited about it because they're getting something out of it in terms of marketing. That's the only reason why some people are excited about it right now because the platform is still young enough to give you that. I was, I was hyped about Twitter in 2009 because all of a sudden I was connected to Chris Brogan and it was like talking to me, right? It was the most exciting thing ever, but then that went away, right? And then you have to deal with the platform as it evolves. So once they start to have a million people, two million people, I, I've, I was chatting on Clubhouse on, in August with top VCs in the chat, I was like shaking while I was talking because these incredible names. Then all of a sudden I saw a wave of a million users coming in a few months ago and that was lost, that was gone forever. So you know what I mean? Like that natural evolution of social media platforms. What's left, I believe, for the event industry is really this use of audio to connect attendees. And I see it as a kind of a white space that you can provide to attendees to connect in a different way than video on, always video on, kind of stay on all the time uh, as a casual way of interacting as part of virtual events. Absolutely. I was discussing this with Jeremiah Oyang in May, uh, you know, when we did our future of events uh, industry um, um, event, uh, an event in B, and we were talking about the use of audio during in-person events where people can just walk through the hall always and just connect to a chat room that is happening audio only in the virtual part of the hybrid event, right? And now platforms, we're not the only ones. There's a lot of platforms that are now offering audio only uh, uh, features within the platform itself. So that's the potential for me 
uh, to not connect with video necessarily, but just drop in in casual conversations around events. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else got? Uh, we've got only a few minutes left. So anyone's got any other final questions? Do post them in the chat. I've got. Um, so you're a very kindly have agreed to be a judge on our V Awards. Uh, very grateful. What what would make you just go? Oh my God, that's just so shit. Why did you enter that? Well, what is a real? What's going to be a real like? Just don't bother. Advice if you're going to do that. And, and on the flip side, what, what are you hoping to see? So, what do I think is so bad in terms of uh, submission? You mean like well, uh, yeah. So it's, or, a, it's, or a, it's a whole new world, right? That we're that we've entered in, and we're looking for the best in class. That's really demonstrated some great engagement, of course, and many other things. We, you know, I can just see some entries coming in where you're just going to go, why did you bother? So what would that key, why did you bother? Don't bother unless, you know, type message. Does that make sense? I, I can tell you this. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still waiting to be convinced by someone. So please convince me, pitch me, like change my mind about avatars, uh, you know. I feel I feel you know I feel Second Life had his run in 2009 and that's it. We don't need another Second Life. You know, we I think we all agreed on it until Sexual Predators went on Second Second Life. Like, why do we need this? Like, it's just bringing so many bad memories to me. Uh, so, if you find, I had an interesting conversation with Garrett uh, Highcop on on that. He said he had an amazing experience of, with avatars. It's like, well, right, you know, I'm, I've never had one, but I'm, I'm willing to be convinced about it. But to me, it feels so awkward, still very awkward that this is not what people want when we're talking about virtual events, right? So I don't know, convince me other, otherwise. I mean, if they're building something extremely new and they're really being creative with it, I'm willing to be convinced. For the time being, I'm going to have a lot of prejudice on it, a lot of prejudice. Like, I'm talking about years of prejudice that you have to fight with your pitch. So that's going to be tough. Um, but then I'm open to see uh, creativity. Then who's winning? Who's winning is really those that are not really presenting a platform um, as their creative effort. Because the platform is not your creative effort. Like, yeah, and we used matchmaking and artificial intelligence to do this. No, you didn't do that. The platform did that, right? You design an event on virtual as an event planner. So I'm very excited about to see the creativity of using platforms creatively uh, to really bring new concepts on board, like new ways of doing things. That's what I'm always excited about. I'm always like, wow, you're really not just doing a keynote because you have to have a keynote, but you're doing, I don't know, whatever, crazy session format you thought about. It probably didn't go as planned, but you tried. So I'm always a fan of that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I've got two last questions. Uh, let's do the quick one first. Is there any books you'd recommend? Just that was a random one that I wanted to ask you. And I might have to give you time to think about that because it's always a hard one. Is there any books I recommend? Oh God. Yes, I recommend not to read any business books these days. Just read whatever. Any any something that is not related to disconnect because we don't need any more business knowledge, business intelligence. For those people that are working right now. I mean, honestly, you probably, you know, there's two facets of this. There's people that are out of work. It's extremely sad. And there's people that are working twice as much. 
there's no middle ground these days, right? It's either that or the other. So just take a break. That's what I can say. Just take a break. Just read yeah. something that is like stupid and unrelated. <laughs> Good. Um, okay, final question. Um, I've got a couple of minutes. So my take on this last year is that event agencies, whilst many have had to go through very tough times, actually we're probably could be in one of the best positions as event agencies in its traditional sense than we've ever been in terms of the marketing mix and the profile of the event agency with clients. So finally, they're at the top table, strategic decision-making, brought in much earlier in the process, working as true consultants to deliver the challenges that the clients have given. And this, I think, is a, is a, is a watershed moment, something that the agencies can really sort of finally be as beneficial and as, as impactful as a PR agency or an advertising agency or any of those that are very well respected and always have a top, seat at the top table and charge the proper fees. Do you agree? Do you see this as an incredible opportunity for event agencies to put their stamp on, on this world? Um, what's your advice to them? What do you think? So I know we've talked about a lot of about selling businesses, investing in businesses and stuff like that. I think now is the time to buy buy shares in event agencies and, you know, those that you know, managed to stay afloat and didn't have to shut down. Unfortunately, you know, I think those that are sticking around, that's the biggest potential for investment that you'll ever see uh, in the next few years, because there's a completely uh, you know, completely changed marketplace or, you know, opportunity to gain market share. You know, you never had that opportunity. Like, you know, you had those roles, those, you know, household names that always have been delivered. Like that's all gone. That's all gone. That's now it's all up for grabs in terms of who wins who. Uh, and, uh, you know, so there's a massive opportunity there to be uh, strongly positioned on innovation and digital, to be honest, like those companies that are able to do that, you know, they can buy into the crazy valuations that we're seeing on the virtual events uh, technology side of things, that crazy wave of investments that is coming in. You can get a piece of the pie of that as an agency if you're very strongly positioned on virtual events and digital events and hybrid events and whatever digital component we attach to live events going forward, right? So that's the massive opportunity. Um, it's a massive opportunity that may um, materialize in the next three years. So if you're hungry for money now, it's not going to pay, pay you back in the next month or so. Though I'm seeing a lot of people out of nowhere making millions right now with virtual events, like millions, literally pushing incredible job, you know, that really didn't have business in March, like zero. They lost all their clients. They're doing amazingly well now because they were like super fast pivot and built their their core clients right now. To a certain extent, this is what we're experiencing with Swapcard right now, right? You know, crazy contracts that you would just say, yeah, never gonna happen like probably years ago, now are happening because we were like super fast pivot. Uh, and, you know, then obviously that's gonna translate to in-person businesses later on, we hope. Yeah, we do. Lovely. Julius, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the, the getting up early uh, i don't think you've been up earlier than us uh, uh, us anyway really appreciate it thank you everyone for joining um we will post on our forum uh what the next talks are but uh, have a great week and thanks everyone for joining thanks for having me we really hope you enjoyed those talks and if so please rate us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts from 
To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MySpot, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.